Start with the question. What is your greatest need? What is your greatest need? What do you, what do you need most? What problem in your life, if solved, would make all of your other problems seem small by comparison? In Mark chapter 2, not a resurrection passage, we'll come to that later, but in Mark chapter 2, it contains a story of, of Jesus meeting someone's greatest need. Maybe not their most evident need, but their greatest need. I want to start here by reading this. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. Many were gathered together, so there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Crowds were gathered around so, so tight that people couldn't even get any closer. And, and so these men, they brought their friend on this mat and they lowered him through the roof. What was his most evident need? It was his physical condition. He could not walk. But what was his greatest need? That's what Jesus meant here. Can you imagine the confusion in this moment, though? As Jesus sees this man, everybody sees this man, and they all know, they think, what his greatest need is. He, he can't walk. And yet Jesus doesn't immediately heal him. What does he say? He says, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the man there thinking, okay, that's great, but Jesus, I can't, I can't walk. Like, we all know what the problem is here. I, I can't walk. You're the only one, Jesus, that doesn't seem to get what the problem is here. And yet Jesus, he forgives him. His greatest need was maybe not his most evident need. His greatest need was for forgiveness. His greatest need was internal and not external. His greatest need was relational and spiritual, not physical. And even this forgiveness is merely a means to the most important thing, which is, which is knowing God. This forgiveness just gets that obstacle out of the way, gets his sin out of the way. In 1 Peter chapter 1, or chapter 3, verse 18, it describes how Christ died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust. He did that to Bring us to God. So as Jesus forgives this man, he's doing it to bring him to God, which is his greatest need. His affliction 
his physical difficulty, all it did was bring him into an encounter with Jesus. Jesus has power to meet your greatest need. And your greatest need might not be what you think it is. And when I asked that question, you might have been thinking of relational difficulty that you can't work through. You feel stuck. Maybe like this man, maybe there's a physical condition. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's something else that you are, you are battling. And, and it may take your life. Maybe it's financial. And those are needs. Those are real needs. But perhaps it's not your greatest need. But Jesus can meet your greatest need. And how do we know? How do we know? How do we know it's not just wishful thinking? It's because he rose from the dead. In this story we just read in Mark 2, Jesus showed that he could meet the man's greatest need for forgiveness by meeting a lesser need in a miraculous way, causing the man to walk. In the same way, as we consider the resurrection this morning, it's proof that Jesus can meet your greatest need. Sometimes at Easter we explore proofs for the resurrection. How do we know the resurrection is real and true? And that's appropriate to spend time doing. But this morning, we will consider what the resurrection proves. What it proves. What it proves is that he can meet your greatest need. Flip over to Matthew, chapter 28. If you're in Mark, it's just a couple pages probably to the left. Matthew 28 is a resurrection account. And I just want this to be fresh on our minds. We won't spend the majority of our time here. We'll actually jump to some passages in Romans that give the so what. So, so what that this is true. But I want to make sure the resurrection is fresh in our minds. Even as we just sang about it and even as Tom just read about it as well. Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. What we'll see is a clear claim, a clear claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Starting in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. Their guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. And as the passage goes on, it pivots over to the guards, considering how they're going to explain what happened. And they come up with a story about them sleeping. It goes on to the disciples meeting him in Galilee and him giving them this great commission to go out and make disciples. But what we have here is just a description of the facts. They went to the tomb and they went to the right tomb because we know in chapter 27 that these same women saw where he was buried. And these two Marys came and they saw the empty tomb. There's actually even more Marys than this. In uh, 
the, the junior church play that our kids are doing right now. So it's our high school kids, middle school kids that are putting on this play for the younger kids. And there's a lot of kids that want to participate, so they're kind of filling in spots. They can add more guards and stuff, but also what they do is they just add more Marys to the story. My, I think one of my daughters is like one of four Marys, uh, um, because there's a lot of them that are here. And they're seeing it. And then they see the resurrected Christ. And Jesus appears to more and to more and to more. It's proof that he really did rise. I saw somebody comment this week that we often say there's only two things that are certain in this life, right? Death and taxes. But really there's three. Death, taxes, and the resurrection of Christ. And all three we remember this weekend, right? Um, If you haven't done your taxes yet, that's your last warning, right? It's tomorrow. Um, But so what? He, He rose, but so what? What does it prove? What does it uh, accomplish? And that's really where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. And we'll see that what it proves, what it accomplishes, is meeting our greatest need. Just like that paralytic had a greater need than his paralysis, so we have a greater need than some of our immediate circumstances. And just like his miracle of healing, this paralyzed man showed that he had authority to meet his greatest need. So this miracle of the resurrection shows that Jesus can meet what is our very greatest need. And we'll see this by looking at a series of passages in Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Matthew, as well as the other gospel writers, gives us the what of the resurrection. What happened? And then the rest of the New Testament explains why it matters. It gives us the the so what, if you will. We'll end up looking at four passages briefly in Romans. In Romans chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, we'll see that because he rose, we are justified. Romans 4, starting in verse 23. Now, not for his sake only was it written that, he was, that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. You notice it jumps right in at the end of the chapter. What's come right before this is a description of Abraham. And it's a passage we've jumped back to many times if you hear a regular Sunday morning as we've been going through Galatians because it uses some really similar arguments to Romans 4. In Romans 4, it's talked about this man named Abraham. And Abraham believed God, it said, believed God for this miraculous provision of a child. He had faith in the true God and God credited to that to him as righteousness. God viewed him as righteous. He, he accounted that to him, not because he was fully righteous in himself, but because of his faith in God and his promises. And it uses that as a parallel for us. It says that was not just said for him, but for our sakes, for, for your sake. In the same way, it will be credited To those who believe in him. And notice what it says. It's not just a generic believe in God. It's much more specific. Believe in him 
who raises Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. That's the type of belief. It's a very specific faith. But, but again, why? Why is that so critical? It goes on in verse 25, and, and it explains. He was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. You see parallel lines there. Delivered over, and we see in Romans 8, it was delivered, he was delivered over by the Father. It's the Father's will. In, in coordination with the Son, it was a triune plan of God to deliver over the Son for our sins, for our transgressions. That's what we meditated on on Friday night, if you're here at the Good Friday service. But then it says, he was raised, and it uses the same word, because of our justification. Justification, it might sound like a theological term, you might not be familiar with it. Basically means not just forgiveness, or forgiveness takes away our sin, but, but going further and giving us righteousness. A righteousness from Jesus. A righteousness that is His. So if forgiveness brings us to neutral, it, it doesn't just leave us at neutral. He gives us the righteousness of Christ. That's justification. What does it have to do with Him being raised from the dead? Because that's the point it makes here, right? It says He was raised because of or for or on account of our justification. The work is done on the cross but it's this resurrection that shows the work was accomplished, that it was effective, that it was enough. If he had died and stayed dead, we would be forever wondering, was he really who he said he was? Was his death really what I need? Or, or was he just a pretender? Did God really accept this death, this, this man on, on my behalf? Yes, because he rose from the dead. It, it shows, it, it proves that our greatest need, this need to have our sin forgiven so that we can, we can come to God, shows that he has accomplished that. But there's more. Sounds like an infomercial, I know. But there's, there's more. Romans goes on and it continues to build that because this is true, because he rose, turn now to chapter 6. We see in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Sorry, I'm skipping over some stuff here. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. We'll see that because he rose, we have new life. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, a passage we often read when somebody's baptized. It says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory that is the power of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We're, we're united with him, both in his death and his resurrection. And, and baptism pictures both. That's why we plunge somebody in the water and we pull them back up, right? Because we're not just picturing the death. If that was the case, we would, we would keep them down, right? Um, but we pull them back up because in very visual terms, it's picturing this. I'm united with his death and his resurrection. And as he rose, so it says here, 
we then too might walk in newness of life, in new life, in real life. Our, our guilt is taken away. That's what we saw in chapter 4. And it's tied to his resurrection. But, but that's like a legal standing. Justification is like a, a legal thing. You're viewed as righteous. But it's not just a legal thing. You get life. Abundant life. Rich life. Full life. In the context here of chapter 6, it's life that is freed from the enslavement of sin. But Jesus himself points out that it's far more than just that. And if that's all we think of with this, I'm forgiven of sin, I'm freed from sin, we miss perhaps the larger idea of this life. Jesus says so beautifully in John 10, verse 10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, that's what you can have. And and I hope you do. Not just forgiveness, but life. An abundant life. It's a life of significance, meaning, joy, purpose. And it's all possible because your biggest problem is taken out of the way. Your greatest need is met. But what does that full and abundant life look like? Sometimes not, perhaps like we picture. I recently was reading a book about a medical missionary named uh, Dr. Kent Bradley, or Brantley. And some of you might know this name. As I tell the story, you might remember an incident from a few years ago. It's a great picture of this. He, he went to med school, got his degree, but with the hope of being a medical missionary. And so after finishing his residency, he and his wife and two young kids, they moved to Liberia in West Africa to work at an impoverished hospital caring for people. His life could have been much easier. He could have remained and had a prestigious career in the U.S., but he chose to go someplace hard, and it got even harder. While he was there, Ebola broke out. And, and the hospital he was at and the region he was at was really an epicenter of this. And Ebola, if you're not familiar with it, is it's painful. The mortality rate is incredibly high. About 70% of the people who contract it die. And they die through some of the most horrific uh, symptoms of, of, of bleeding out and becoming dehydrated and... It's quick and it's painful. And despite taking great cautions, he, he ended up contracting Ebola. And he remained for a few days and they, and they, they, they were trying to treat him there and they, they thought at a couple of different times that he wasn't going to make it, he wasn't going to live and they ended up uh, being able to evacuate him to Atlanta, Georgia. And this is perhaps where you might remember this perhaps because this made worldwide news that the first Ebola patient was being brought to the U.S. And people were nervous. You know, how would this spread and what would happen? And they brought him to Atlanta. Eventually, he did end up recovering. And several years later, he went back. Went to serve again as a medical missionary. So, is that abundant life? Well, if we hear that term and we think life of ease and wealth and health... Sure doesn't sound like it. But if on the other hand we hear that term and we think, my greatest need is met. And now I'm, 
I'm untethered from this life to serve and to serve in a way that is meaningful and, and joyful and pouring myself out. Because even if the worst happens and my life is taken, then that just means I will be with God. That is a life that is free. And that is abundant life. He comes to take away this greatest problem, bring us to him. He comes to give us real life, abundant life. Turn to chapter 8 now. Both of those so far have been tied to the resurrection. In chapter 8, verse 11, it does as well. What we'll see here is because he rose, we know that God will give life to our mortal bodies. In all of these, I know we're just kind of parachuting in to the midst of a passage that's there, but I want you to trace this theme of the resurrection. Chapter 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Same spirit, same God who rose Jesus from the dead, it says, will will one day give life to your mortal body. This is a different type of life described here then. Uh, A life... When your body eventually perishes, your mortal body, he will resurrect it. And he will give you life that lasts forever. But, but notice there is a, a very big if loaded in here. Put, put your eyes again on verse 11. If you have your Bibles open. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies if. This isn't a blanket promise to everybody. This isn't all humanity. It's available to all humanity. They're invited to come. But it's these who have his spirit within. That his spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, if his spirit is in you, then he will do this. So, so we have to ask the question, how do you get that? How can this promise be true of you so that when you die and one day you will die, how do you know that you will be with him? How do you know that your greatest need is met? How do you know that you can have life now? How do you know that you will have life with him forever? How do you receive the spirit, since that's what's talked about here? The book of Galatians that we've been marching through on Sunday mornings has a great answer to that. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So if Romans 8, 11 says, If you have the Spirit dwelling within you, then he will raise you. If you have the Spirit, your need is met. How, how do you get the Spirit? Hearing with faith. Hearing what? Believing what? This, this truth that we've been declaring. That Jesus came and he was really real. And he lived the life you could not live. And he died in your place. And he did not stay dead. He rose. And it's believing that. It, it's, it's turning from the sin that made that necessary. Trusting in him. And your greatest need is met. And, and it says that's done by by faith, 
almost seems too, too easy. But that's the contrast here. So it's not by works, meaning just try to be a better person, but, but recognize that you have a need that you cannot meet, and only he can. One person words it this way. It says, you can receive in this very hour the spirit who, of him who raised Jesus from the dead if you... He connects it here to a prayer. If you pray this prayer in your heart, but it's not just praying a prayer in your heart. It's not like a magic formula. If you say the right words, this is what saves you. But this is the type of thing that in faith you're affirming. Merciful and mighty Jesus Christ, I now turn from guilt and trust in the provision of your forgiveness. I turn from sin and trust your new path for my life. I turn from self-reliance and trust your power to help me obey. I turn from fear and trust in your promises for my future. It's, it's faith, seeing our need and turning to the only one that can meet the need. If we do that, we get so many things. Forgiveness, we've seen. Righteousness given to us. New life life to come, and his spirit taking up residence in our heart. And what we see in Romans 8 11 is that gift of the spirit is merely a down payment of what's to come. And what will come one day when you're laid in the grave is that one day he will raise you from the grave. He will raise you to be with him. He will give life to your mortal bodies. And then one more truth that I want to see in Romans 8. Verse 34. One more truth tied to the resurrection. One more truth that the resurrection proves. One more truth tied to your greatest need. Romans 8, verse 34 now. Who is the one who condemns? Meaning, who is the one who says guilty? That's what would be condemned. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who, who is there to bring down a guilty verdict? Your guilt has been taken care of. And it's taken care of by the one who died and rose. And, and notice here it says he rose and he always lives to intercede for you. He also intercedes for us, he says. And it's because he rose. He isn't offering a new plea, a new argument to your guilt. There's no other case he needs to make. There's nothing that you could do that would make the father conclude that the son's payment was not enough. There's no sin that would just tip it over the edge and say, I would forgive up to that point, but no more. You will never overdraw this account. The bank vault of his righteousness will never run out of funds. The reservoir of his mercy will never run dry. He always intercedes. And it's the same intercession. My death is sufficient. It's no wonder that in Romans 10 verse 9 it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe that God raised him from the dead because this is what God said he would do and this is what is that stamp saying paid. Paid, accepted, complete. Friends, your greatest need is to know God. 
And the obstacle to that is the same obstacle I have. It's sin. And he took that out of the way so that you could know him. He brings you near. He gives you life. Not just a technical forgiveness, although of course we need that, but life. And one day when you perish, you'll be with him still forever. And now, ongoing, every day, he intercedes. It's because he rose. Let's pray.